In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Dusty Betzel. And I apologize again for butchering that. Welcome to the show and, and thank you for joining us today. Not a problem. It, uh, it happens all the time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and you are the EVP of real estate at Baseline Investments. Tell us a little bit about Baseline. Tell us a little bit about your position, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Um, so Baseline Group, we're a Denver-based real estate investment firm. Uh, we've got 79 properties in our primary income fund, which focuses on you know stabilized assets, trying to provide a, a quality return for our investors, and typically trying to buy stuff in the seven and a half to eight cap range, uh, holding it long term and, you know, trying to aggregate a portfolio of neighborhood shopping centers throughout the country. Awesome. Awesome. And as you've been, you've been doing this for, for a while now, I read your story. You have an interesting, very interesting story of how you started and, and kind of where you've come from and, and kind of what you're in charge of now. As you've been doing this, you know, what, what got you interested in, uh, in this space and, and, and what, got, what got you interested in, in joining Baseline initially? So in the space in general, I was always interested in the built environment. My under, undergraduate degree was in construction management. So I was going down that path and found out very quickly that actually you know, project management, construction management was not the best fit for me. I didn't really enjoy that very much. Took a little bit of time to try and find out what I wanted to do next. And then you know, pretty much realized that I wanted to be on this side. I wasn't sure exactly where. I had eliminated project management. And so through a couple of different roles, I was able to identify that I wanted to be on the principal side. Went back to grad school at DU here in Denver, got an MBA with a you know, real estate finance emphasis and was able to hook up with Baseline while I was there. Started as an intern and then ended up you know, taking a job full-time, wore a couple of different hats uh, while I was with Baseline uh, for the you know, four years or so. And then we decided we wanted to move back to Austin and I got a great opportunity with a, a student housing REIT that's based there in, in Austin and worked with them for a few years. And Baseline, you know, I kept in touch with them. They continued to grow. and. The folks that were in charge now reached out and, and mentioned this position and, and wanted to talk through it. And you know, the more they talked, the more you know, it, it got me excited about being back in Denver and being with a small company and, and trying to you know help it grow to you know hopefully the size of the company that I left, you know, which was you know an eight billion dollar student housing REIT. So that was the backstory. Like I said, it's they joke about it here because you know I, I, this is my third uh, third trip through baseline. <laughs> I'm very much glad to be home. That's awesome. That's awesome. As you've been kind of maneuvering the space, I know COVID uh, has changed things a bit. And, you know, being that, you know, you're, you're you're in the real estate business, but you're also in the real estate of kind of revitalizing these 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 markets with your centers. What's been that journey like uh, through, throughout these COVID days? You know, it's been interesting, Bobby. We had a very good 2019. You know, it was very active. Uh, we were able to add quite a few assets to the portfolio. The first quarter of 2020, was on a, a similar pace, maybe even a little bit more aggressive pace. And then obviously, you know, mid-March is when everything slowed down. At that point, we had a very robust pipeline of deals that, that we were ready to acquire. And, you know, we everybody hit the pause button. 
we continued to try and extend for as long as we could, keeping those deals alive, which some of them we were successful and ultimately closed on. But you know, I think there was just a lot of uncertainty, you know, from a seller's perspective, definitely from a buyer's perspective. So during that time when when transactional activity slowed down, we as an entire group, including the acquisitions team, which I oversee, just started looking internally and, and really got to know our tenant base. You know, we developed we, we quickly identified that you know, this is going to be a challenge for a lot of the tenants that that occupy our centers. You know, we're in the neighborhood shopping center space, that necessity-based, localized, unanchored center. So, you know, it ends up being a lot of smaller businesses, you know, a lot of smaller footprints and those that were really being impacted by what was going on, being impacted by the you know government mandated closures and you know, at that time, if you recall, it was really about the closures. You know, the talk was about trying to flatten the curve. So if everyone could just stay home for, you know, depending on the market, you know, six weeks or eight weeks or whatever the case may be, hopefully this will pass and everything will be back to normal, which I mean, understood. Like at the time, I think everyone was, the, the virus itself was very scary. Not to say that it's not now, but, you know, there were so, there were so many more questions about the virus then, even than there are now. So I think, you know, that no one really argued with that necessarily, but it definitely had an impact on small businesses. You know, those folks that didn't have the the balance sheets that you know some of the national credit uh, tenants might have. So we started this internal pulse team, essentially our our property management group put together all of our lists, our entire portfolio of tenants, divvied it up. You know, everybody that everybody shifted the focus from their day to day job. You know, the the sourcing team started calling had a list of forty or fifty tenants that we were reaching out to, and it started out as just a check in. You know, hey, how are you doing? How are you being impacted? And then it evolved over you know the last nine months. You know, the Pulse team is still in place. Uh, we still have regular contact with our tenants. You know, now we've been able to kind of funnel that list of tenants down to the folks that are the most impacted. You know, we've been able to identify those that have been able to survive and are making it through okay. You know, but I think that was one of the biggest things that we did was internally we put together this task force that was really trying to get to know, not get to know, but like really trying to get our tenants through this. And it, like I said, it evolved into check-ins, to hand-holding, to, you know, counselor in some case, to experts on the PVP and EIDL programs. I mean, it really allowed us to get more familiar with our tenants than we ever had been before, which ultimately has served us well on acquisitions front because, you know, from an underwriting underwriting standpoint, we, uh, you know, we really know even more now than we did before, what to look for in terms of you know, risk profile, which tenants have made it through, which which tenant use has proven to be more resilient and I don't want to say COVID proof, but you know, has the ability to continue to generate sales even in an environment where you know a lot of people are are staying at home. So it, it's been an interesting, you know, nine months, but I would say overall we feel great about what we've been able to accomplish during that time. Not only you know getting to know our tenants, but we were able to restart the acquisitions engine as well. And we, throw, we closed on three properties at the end of Q3. Uh, we just closed on another one on Monday. We've got two more that we're scheduled to close on by the end of the year. So you know, to be able to take down half a dozen properties during a pandemic, that like, we're, we're very excited about that. And our existing tenant base has proven to be extremely resilient, right? So it's proving out the model that, that we've created and, and the portfolio we're trying to aggregate, which you know, I think a lot of people would assume that these small business tenants would be the ones that are closing their doors and, and the ones that are being most impacted, but that, you know, we've got the data to prove that that is not the case. You know, we've, there were 20 tenants so far that have closed and we know that number is probably going to go up 
but you know, out of our roughly 900 tenants in this you know, primary income fund, income fund, you know, it's much less than than we originally anticipated when when we huddled and tried to figure out what things were going to look like going into Q2. And like I said, we lost 20 tenants, but since that period, we've been able to gain, I want to say it's 35 tenants. So we're you know net accretive in terms of total leases, which would go contrary to you know everything you're reading about the retail space in the media. So we feel good about the area that we're in. You know, this nine months has been it's been a great learning experience, growing experience. It's allowed us to get to know our tenants better than we ever have, and, and we feel like that's going to serve us well in the long run. That's great to hear. And I absolutely share that same sentiment with you. I think the business owners, especially small business owners, are more resilient than any other, you know, any other kind of, uh, I guess, segment of, of customer kind of going and, and, and really being able to maneuver the, these COVID-19 days. So I absolutely share that sen- sentiment. You, you, you mentioning that, like, like I said, when in late March, we sat down and did a stress test of our entire portfolio or just trying to forecast collections, you know, we're saying, okay, this is coming. These closures are coming. Let's go through tenant by tenant. Let's provide, you know, give them a risk ranking and, you know, apply some weighting to that risk ranking just to try and come up with a number. Like, what do we think we're going, going to be able to collect? Because if you'll recall, like by the time this all happened, it was mid to late March. So, you know, March payments had already come through. So there was just this dead period where you were waiting until April payments would start to come through. And, you know, we started doing some forecasting. And when we went through that, you know, our methodology was to, Okay, if you're a national credit tenant, right? There's no chance you're not going to pay, right? You're you're going to pay because you may get a contract. I mean, that's the that's why people pay up for the you know, national credit profile, right? Because it's it's you know bond like. And it was surprising to us when you know starting in April and May, we got these notices from you know, national tenants that were basically saying, "Hey, we're not paying rent," and you know, no justification for it other than. Well, we think sales are going to be impacted, so we're just going to go ahead and unilaterally tell you we're not going to pay rent. I mean, I'm sure you read those stories as well, you know, in the, in the news, and and that was interesting because we, I don't think anyone really suspected that that might be the case. You know, we fall we fall into that category as well, and we were just pleasantly surprised. And and I don't know why we should know this, right? We've been through it before. We went through it in 2008 during the financial crisis. You know, small businesses fight; they fight hard, and uh, you know, we underestimated the fight a little bit this time around, but you know, we were thrilled with the fact that we're, like I said, we're, we're in this space right now. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense as you've been, but I know, um, you know, baseline really has a kind of a community centered approach. How was, you know, kind of local play into a role into, into really that retail industry more than ever. So for us, we think it plays well, you know, particularly right now, people are for the most part, it seems people are staying closer to home. The convenience of the centers that we own has been beneficial. You know, while I, I don't know about you, right? Like, but when's the last time you've gone to a mall? That's been a thankfully, while. Yeah. But I'm sure you go, you know, you pop in and I don't know, get a haircut or, I mean, for me, like I'll, I'll go grab, you know, a six pack at the local liquor store. You know, it's not like I'm going to go into some big area where it was before. Like those, those trips are still happening. You know, the, those small takeout restaurants that, you know, you have gone to forever. It looks a little bit different. You know, you may be picking it up at the window or then maybe dropping it off of your car, but you're still making that stop. So for, from a local perspective, we feel like that has benefited our centers because people are staying home and habits are hard to break, right? So if, if that continues, that could be very beneficial in the long run because maybe this has caused someone who would go to the more traditional power center type retail node that, that has all of the, you know, the national big sit down 
restaurants, maybe now this has caused them to find a more localized option that, that they really enjoy. And, and that becomes a, a, a part of their you know habitual restaurant going. So for us, we think like it's played well. A lot of those convenience things are, are still operating. You know, there are a few that have changed. Obviously, dry cleaners have been pretty severely impacted because a lot of people are now working from home and, you know, not with the, the number of events, you know, weddings and what have you that are that have been canceled or postponed. You know, I think that's really had an impact on the dry cleaning business. But, you know, for us, we think, again, it's just more a matter of time before those types bounce back. You know, I don't think COVID is going to wipe out, you know, weddings happening ever again. Uh, I think <laughs> so we'll, we'll bounce back. But, yeah, we, we feel like being local is is one of those things that has helped out and um, is proving out our model and our thesis a little bit better as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And I think you're, you're right on to say, you know, habits are hard to break. So I think uh, we'll see a lot of traffic still come to kind of those, those neighborhood shopping areas and open areas and all that good stuff, even as we maneuver kind of out of COVID. I think that, that'll be a trend that we definitely see. So Dusty, I know I, I know you guys are in the business of revitalizing properties. Have you really showed attention to the in-store experience for your tenants' customers? You know, in normal times, Bobby, I would say it's for us, we have not a whole lot of interaction or influence on their in-store experience, with the exception that we want their customers to have a seamless transition when you know from the time they enter the property until the time they walk in the you know, the customer's doors. So from that aspect, you know, the best thing we can do is ensure that we're properly maintaining everything. You know, the landscaping looks good, the parking lot's clean, it's well lit, you know, everything is safe. So I think that's how we can assist. But during this you know, COVID environment, it's small, but one of the things that, that we've done is to try and assist our tenants by providing them with whatever it is they need. You know, this all came out of nowhere. A lot of folks were rightfully so, you know, unprepared for the like PPE needs that they would have. So hand sanitizer, face shields, face masks, those plastic partitions. So we actually partnered with one of our existing tenants, with which is an uh, Ace Hardware affiliate, and went through their B2B program and then turned around and provided our tenants with a with a stipend to purchase some of this stuff so that they would have everything on stock. So, you know, I think during COVID, one thing that we've tried to assist with is providing those products, but then also our, our we've got an internal tenant services team that provides all kinds of resources. I mean, we've got a, an entire website dedicated to small business. So these guys can go on and, and find all kinds of assistance in terms of okay, how do we reopen with all of this going on? How can we reopen safely? How can we let our, our customers know that we're available and that we're open and operating? So from those like more service provider standpoints, we can help. But you know, in terms of like the actual in-store experience, we, we in normal times have, don't have a whole lot that you know, we're able to assist with. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think just setting up your point during these days, being able to give the resources as needed, right? For merchants to either market better or, or to be able to you know show their store better, I think is is very helpful. So I think I think you're actually doing a lot. That's great. And I guess one other thing I would add is you know the in store is kind of a an interesting <laughs> interesting thought right now, right? Because for a lot of our our uses, there's there's probably not a whole lot of in store. So it's making sure you know, they have the ability to do that safely. But I will say you know, while we're talking about it, I'm thinking about it. One thing that we've done is allowed a lot of our restaurant tenants to take the inside out and use more of the parking lot spaces for you know, to set up an outdoor seating area because you know a lot of the restrictions in our markets 
were about indoor dining and limiting capacity on indoor dining. So if we were able to provide some additional outdoor space for them to occupy, you know, it would allow them to increase their ability to serve customers. So that that's one thing that we did, I guess, you know, that we did have control over that could help if you want to call it in-store, but to, you know, to help that audience. In your role as EVP, um, you have to monitor and anticipate trends, of course, and, and retail real estate. Can you share some trends that you've observed either pre-pandemic and or you know, kind of how, how COVID-19 has altered those trends? Sure. There seemed to have been a trend to more experiential uh, offerings leading up to the pandemic. That has obviously been altered for the time being. You know, it's tough to crowd a bunch of people into a space right now uh, in a lot of places. You know, it's not permitted. Uh, so we've seen that take a little bit of a pause or a step back. You know, I think just in general, you're starting to see more you know, omni-channel adoption. You know, folks that are opening up storefronts to supplement their online business. Um, we're seeing that take hold. You know, I think from our perspective in our space, we're seeing a lot more medical slash dental retail use. You know, the uses are coming out of the towers that they were in and you're starting to, starting to see them take on more retail space that's, you know, on a corner in one of our centers just to have more convenient access, you know, instead of having their customers have to come in and park in this massive lot or in this big garage and you know, go up this elevator and go through, like, they just want that same convenience, uh, you know, in and out aspect that you would get from, say, a dry cleaner or, you know, some type of QSR. So I think that's it. You know, I think obviously you're reading the news about the big box tenants, you know, that, that seem to be you know, struggling quite a bit. That trend continues. Apart from the you know class A centers and, and lifestyle centers that seem to be weathering it okay and probably will continue to do so, but you know the the mid mid market mall you know that just seems to be a really tough spot right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Speaking about you know kind of being in that in these neighborhood centers and, and helping with a lot of different services, I was reading that one of the services that you do provide is a kind of a marketing program for your for your tenants. Can you tell us a little bit about about what that entails? Yeah, like absolutely. We've got an entire team that has built out this ecosystem for our small business tenants to go on. Yeah, it's free of charge. It's a service that we provide. Yeah, they can go through this entire catalog of of services to whatever it is they need to do. Whether that's hey, I need help understanding the Facebook ecosystem to be able to reach my clients or you know reach my customers. I'm trying to do an Instagram campaign. How can we do that? I want to create a customer loyalty program, can have some guidance on that. So, you know, we offer those resources on the website and then our, the tenant services team can also be there to assist. You know, it's not a huge team, but, you know, they've got enough experience. They've walked a lot of our tenants through this. So for people who want more than just the resource and, and to read it and try and set it up themselves, you know, they make them they make themselves available to do that as well. And then, you know, like I said, part of the one of the other things that we have done during COVID, in addition to the PPE program, we partnered with you know, an existing tenant of ours that's in the signage business and offered a, an additional stipend to our tenants if they wanted to, you know, create some kind of signage to help people know, especially when businesses were starting to reopen and restrictions were starting to be lifted. You know, part of it was how do we let our customers know if they're just driving by, like, hey, you know, we're still open, you know, this, this whole thing's going on, so we partnered with one of our existing tenants and put them in touch with our with the rest of our tenants and, and help them create signs. You know, we actually sent we're open signs to a majority of our tenants as well, just proactively so that they could hang them in the window so that people, you know, as they're driving by, instead of wondering like, well, is that 
business being affected by the closures and restrictions right now or not. There was a very clear indication that, no, we are open, please stop by. So those are some of the services we provide. And like I said, it's a, it's a slew of products. It's a pretty impressive catalog that has been put together, particularly for you know, a company our size. That's an awesome service, especially, yeah, I think, even more useful these days, of course, but useful kind of all the time. Because small businesses in general, just kind of businesses getting getting started, typically need a lot more marketing advice as they get rolling and, and, and as they continue to kind of grow their business as well. So that's, that's a great service to see. Yeah, it's it's a scary world and it can be expensive, you know, if you're if you're a small business and, and you don't have the resources to do it. And part of the detective work that we do on the front end, you know, when we're buying a property, part of our due diligence is to identify, okay, which of these tenants you know, in this new center that we're buying could benefit from our you know, tenant services team. So we, you know, help source, if you will, some opportunities for them to reach out and see if would you like some assistance with something. You see, you don't have a website. Is that something we can try and help you create? So yeah, it's been pretty impressive for me to see. That's awesome. Do you have any sort of marketing advice for brick and mortar businesses that you know really specifically in respect to the pandemic? I think you know, staying engaged obviously is a uh, is a big one. Making sure that your customers know that you are that you are open and operating. I would say part of that is, you know, collecting the information from your customers so you can reach them. But you know, there are some services out there that that do that. I think that's been the biggest key throughout all of this is with the start stop nature of these closures. It's just been hard for I, mean, I don't if I, I don't know if you're open or not. So part of it is just communicating, make sure people know that you're there. You know, depending on the use type, I would, it would be looking into some different technologies to help, you know, if it's a small restaurant that maybe didn't have delivery capabilities or didn't do much takeout before, you know, what we've seen is the people that have been surviving the best or, you know, managing this the best, I would say, it was those, those that who pivoted quickly and adopted some of the app-based ordering technologies, you know, got in touch with some of these delivery services or, you know, started taking online uh, orders as well, being adaptable, trying to figure out different ways to provide your provide your product, even in you know, these times where you may or may not be allowed to have people inside your store. That's great advice. Great advice. As you're working through and bringing on new tenants, have you seen some you know common leasing-related challenges that, that some of these retailers face as well? What do you mean? Could you... Yeah. So as, as you know, pre-pandemic, of course, people would come to the space, they would check out the space. You'd probably go through a process, back and forth process. But as kind of new tenants come and you're trying to maneuver you know, kind of safety protocols for, uh, for, for, you know, during this pandemic and also at the same time, making sure that people make the right decision in a location that they're going into. And from a prospecting standpoint, in the very early stages, it was a little bit different. You know, the showings were different in, in some markets. And part of it is, you know, broker and or tenant comfortability with the situation. I know in some instances, you know, some of our brokers said, we've, hey, we've got a tour, someone's coming through. They're not like they don't want us to be in the space. So you just had to coordinate unlocking the space for them, letting them in. But once they see it, you know, the process is still pretty much the same from a lease negotiation standpoint. The thing that you know has changed obviously is you know permitting is something that is taking a little bit longer. You know, like I mentioned, we've actually been able to do quite a bit of leasing throughout all of this. And in some cases we had just the 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 build-out was completed okay, but the inspection process took a little bit longer than normal because a lot of government offices were shut down. And then when they would open back up, they just had quite a bit of a backlog to work through. So, you know, we saw that 
that was taking some time, which then you know puts the landlord in an awkward spot and the tenant as well, right? Because if you've got a a, a date certain build out period in the lease, but you know, it's been held up, we've had to show some flexibility there, which is, I mean, that's totally fine and understandable. It's not, it's not like this was something that either party was intending to do. I would say that's been a bit of a challenge is, is trying to get construction completed timely and then you know get it permitted and, and open on time. But from an actual you know lease transa- transaction standpoint, I would say it's it's fairly the same. Fairly same. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. Are there technology solutions that you you think or you've seen over some time that you think are kind of game changers for your tenants or in general for, for the retail side? Yeah, I mean, going back to it, right, it's all about the staying in contact with your customers, you know, the app, from, from a restaurant perspective, you know, it seems like the app-based ordering has been one. I think in the current environment, right, it's going to be accommodating your customers. And, and by current, I mean now, but who knows how long into the future, just making sure your customers feel comfortable. You know, I've, I've been saying for a while, like, I think there are some physical changes that you're going to see just forever more. You know, I think hand sanitizer stations are going to be, you know, in arm's reach, you know, for the rest of our lives, at least. Yes, I think things like that are, are probably, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of blanking after that, but yeah. What do you think, what do you think, Dusty, what's the, I know this is kind of more aspirational question, but like, what does the future of retail look like? I know we said, you know, I think we both agree that these larger footprint stores will now be kind of smaller footprint stores. I think there's been what we've seen, at least on our side, is you know there's been a bunch of online retailers that have been really only selling e-com, 100% e-com, and now wanting to put up you know storefronts to be able to expand that relationship with customers and create you know experiences, all that good stuff. But what what does the future look like to you? Like if we look at it, you know, five, ten years down the line, does the world of retail change? Does the world of uh, interactions with customers change? Yeah, I think it continues to change, but I don't think that's any different than it always has been. You know, things continue to evolve. You know, if you go back 20, 25 years, you know, internet internet cafes were the rage, right? Like, oh, this is great. We're on every corner. And obviously that changed, you know, with the personal computing device, that changed with the you know, advancement of, well, just internet in general, right? Making it available for everyone. And, and now, you know, those aren't, you, you might see some that are kind of, more niche and you know, oh, what a cool concept! We'll go back in time to go to this internet cafe, but like you don't see them on every corner. Like you probably did back then. I mean, I wasn't, I was a little too young to be in the industry at that time. I can only imagine as a real estate guy if that were the case, right? Your any internet cafe concept, you're like, I want that. I'm going to put that in every one of my centers. You know, so I think it's going to to answer your question. I do think it will continue to evolve. I think the necessity based uses will will continue to remain. I think you're going to continue to see an, an assessment of what the proper footprint is for different restaurant uses. You know, I think you can see some restaurants saying, you know what, this hybrid model where we're doing a lot of a lot of delivery and pickup and offering a smaller footprint inside the space, you know, that may be more profitable for us in the long run. So you may see dining room sizes shrink. But I don't think, I mean, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to you know, poke the bear, but you know, as of now, Amazon hasn't figured out how to, you know, cut your hair or do your nails or those types of items that are everyday things that in a normal world you would stop by, you know, the nearest neighborhood center and, and take care of. So I think those uses will continue. Those may change a little bit, but yeah, I think it will continue to evolve. I think from a mall perspective, I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like. You know, movie theaters, I'm, I'm really curious to see what that looks like. 
coming out of this, how long it's going to take the you know, general psyche of the public to get comfortable you know, being in that type of enclosed environment. But yeah, I think there's a desire right now for people to leave their living rooms and get back to some semblance of normal life. So I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a return to somewhat normal, unless it's like this big, massive public gathering spot. There may be a little bit longer hesitation there. The necessity-based centers, you constantly see an evolution of uses that go into them. Like I mentioned just now, you have the medical and dental. You know, 30 years ago, those weren't really going in, you know, next to the dry cleaner or whatever on a, on a frequent basis, right? They were going to the medical tower. You had a little, you know, aggregation of, of those uses that were in the same area because of you know, that synergy. And now you're seeing, well, we want to be closer to our customers. And we want to make it more convenient for them. So there will continue to be an evolution, but being local, being close to a bunch of rooftops is always going to be valued. No, absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think I think the one thing again that uh, that we've seen is data kind of showing even in the other direction where you know again ecom players start to use that data to be able to figure out can I put these ten items in a store location in New York where I never had presence and, and maybe uh, also extend my presence right into different areas. So I think we're definitely going to see that as well. Yeah, you could see billboarding. You know where people are there. They want to be in this location. Just the store itself may not be extremely profitable, but the value they get from the just the visual recognition on a daily basis is something that they think is worth it. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, thank you much, Jesse. That was a wealth of information. Before we let you go, can you tell us uh, what are some some of your favorite spots in Colorado for your visit? Obviously, we love going up in the mountains. You know, my family and I love to be outdoors and go on hikes. So that. Anywhere, just we'll just say mountains in general is pretty tough to beat. But there's a, a new spot. If I you know mean to plug them, they're, they're not paying for this, but spot <laughs> that opened up actually during the pandemic, right? They they were supposed to open in March. They ended up I think delaying the opening to sometime you know a little bit later in the spring. Uh, it's called Spice Trade Brewing, and they've actually been really creative in what they've done. I'm sure you've seen this in some other places, but they took over a, a whole lot of the parking lot area and put a bunch of tables out there. So it was you know, socially distanced. They were doing a great job in terms of you know following behind the customers and keeping everything clean and sanitized. And, and I was curious how they were going to do you know as things started to cool off here. And next thing I know, you know, we drive by and they've got probably a dozen of those uh, igloos set up, <laughs> you know, those personalized and still, you know, outdoor, but it's a more personalized space. So they're using that. They, you know, they had a huge tent as well that they put up. So, you know, really trying to extend that outdoor concept. So anyhow, great spot, but also a spot that has done a really good, do- good job of evolving with the times and, and kind of make sure that they can continue to generate sales throughout this process. Thank you again for taking the time. I know our listeners are going to definitely enjoy this. And again, appreciate you spending some some time with us today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.